0: Welcome to the LL Radio Show, a roughly one hour unscripted, interactive, conversational Bible study between a group of friends who are also misfits, uh, transformed by God's amazing grace. Uh, My name is Zach Adams. I'm a Christ follower, husband of one, father of three, incredibly blessed to pastor, I think, the greatest church around, Calvary 316, located just outside of Athens, Georgia. If you would like to learn more about the church, check out calvary316.com. Our service is live-streamed, easiest place to find it, our YouTube channel, calvary316.live. Tonight, I am joined in the studio by two of my brothers, uh, Mr. Nicholas Monty and Justin Holcomb. Fellows, welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. How do you do? Glad to be here. So, how are you guys doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good, Nick. You? I'm doing good. So, do anybody want to kind of get... Where is Deal Daddy Derek tonight? Nick, you want to...
1: Deal Daddy Derek bought a house yesterday, so he is moving into his house.
0: He's moving into his house because next weekend... He's getting married. He's getting married, which will make him officially what in its context to you?
1: To me, brother-in-law.
0: Brother-in-law. Yeah. So um, as far as relational categories go, uh, just below uh, your involvement on the Outlaw Radio Show. You know? Yeah. Outlaw Radio, semi-co-hosts, brother-in-laws. Yeah, I'm for th- sure. Th- that's like yeah. really what's important, right? Semi-co-host? Well, anyway, <laughs> if Derek is watching, we miss you, brother, but uh, have fun moving in and uh, getting all settled in. Uh, I'm also joined in the studio. I'd like to welcome the man who needs no introduction, although I introduce him anyway. Uh, the maestro behind the madness, the producer of this dysfunction, my partner in crime, uh, Mr. Creighton Vaughn, Creighton, welcome again to the AlL Radio Show. Hello, I am brother-in-law to no one. How Ex- are you? A- explain very quickly, kind of what you do, your role, how this works, kind of on your
2: end. Um, so basically, I'm the guy who is responsible for the technical difficulties that we have sometimes. You're not the um, guy in charge <laughs> of it. You're
0: the guy who causes the
2: technical difficulties from time to time. Although we haven't the had those. Technology causes the technical difficulties. I'm just the uh, Indian who doesn't know how to fire his arrow.
0: Okay, I can, so I can go with that. Now, if someone is, is watching the live stream, let's say they're watching on Facebook, facebook.com slash the radio outlaw, or they're watching on our YouTube channel, outlawradio.live, uh, part of the show is kind of its interactive quality. Explain how someone watching can interact in real time uh, with the outlaw radio show. Um, so there's a comment
2: section on the right side of the video that you're watching. It should be right there. Um, if you type into that, I can see it. I've got a laptop in front of me. Um, you can post to it. Oh my goodness. We already have uh, a couple, uh, oh. from Kelly, Neil and Derek. Wow. Are, you know, our, fr- our best friends, our friends of the show. Our friends. Um, they are watching from the new house. Nice. Oh, that's fun. At least Kelly and Derek are. Neil is not. Neil that is not. <laughs> no, Neil's um, at home with a newborn. Yes.
0: Um, He apparently thought they were moving in tomorrow, tomorrow. so he's behind the times. It's all good. It's all good. So if someone wants to interact, they just go to the comment section, type in question, comment, um, and then you can uh, incorporate that kind of into the show. Uh, If you don't know how the show functions, again, aside from it being interactive, um, this show is designed to be a conversation among brothers, so at any point... Uh, Both Nick as well as Justin are free, same with Creighton, to kind of jump into the dialogue. Um, I'll kind of lead the charge, but they're free to jump in kind of as audience members uh, themselves. Um, And the show is, and this is kind of the big kicker, um, it is a Bible study, so we are going to talk about Um, the Bible, things related to Christianity. Sometimes it's passages of scripture, sometimes it's a character profile, sometimes uh, it's a topic. My job is to craft it and make it a Bible study, but I have no idea uh, what we're going to be discussing tonight. The show is completely unscripted. In fact, the only person uh, that knows even as of right now what we will be discussing is the producer Creighton. And so uh, with all that kind of out of the way, and, and we want to be a little bit chop-chop. The Braves are uh, magic numbers three. We're playing the Phillies tonight. Uh, so, we, we you know, we don't want to shortchange the audience, but we do want to get to the issue quickly. So, Cray, wh- what are we talking about? Okay, Tee so uh, last week we talked about Ananias
2: and Sapphira, which is a fascinating story about early Christians being killed by God because they were bad people. Um, go back to that if you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, and you made a comment towards the end of the episode um, that I've heard you make a couple of times um, and is antithetical to the way that most churches operate currently. And that is the idea that church is for Christians. Which Just, is a novel idea, right? Right. Right now it is. Like, it's a, like most of the time you see churches are trying to reach the lost, which, isn't which is a not bad a bad thing. thing. Not a bad thing. But they go they go they put a lot of effort into being very approachable, very relatable to non-christians to get them in the door and then try and make them christians inside the church. Um and so I was hoping you could just, you know, expound upon the idea that christian is a uh, christian. Church is for christians and not the lost.
0: Well, that is Uh, A a wonderful topic. In fact, it is, um, for me personally, um, if you had a soapbox, if you had something that you, uh, like a hill to die on, uh, this is something that is very near and dear to me. It's something, it is the hill that I'll die on. And it's really kind of a concept that uh, we've founded uh, Calvary 316 upon. It's kind of the uh, the root of our entire ministry, uh, our ministry philosophy, uh, the way that we approach Sunday mornings. Uh, and again, I, I, this sounds novel, it sounds elementary, but it is the belief uh, that church—that um, Jesus instituted the church, that the church was founded, crafted, envisioned um, to be for Christians and not necessarily to be an evangelistic uh, tool in and of itself. Um, I, I use the phrase church for Christians uh, really to kind of uh, poke at Um, A famous statement made by uh, Andy Stanley, for those that don't know uh, who Andy Stanley is. He's the son of Charles Stanley, um, who was the longtime senior pastor, First Baptist Atlanta. uh, A very good Bible teacher in his own right, solid theologically. Uh, His son, Andy, um, got his start by teaching one of their secondary campuses called North Point. Uh, that church ended up kind of spinning off becoming its own conglomerate. North Point Community Church um, is a megachurch uh, within the Atlanta area with campuses all over the place. Most notably, uh, they have a campus in Buckhead uh, that is massive, um, a campus in Athens, Georgia, not too far outside of our backyard, uh, Athens Church, which is also um, massive in and of itself. And Andy Stanley kind of has pioneered um, what we would call the seeker-friendly church movement or, or kind of more uh, recently branded the attractional church model. And that is the idea that, that church, Sunday morning, the service of the church um, should be designed, crafted, um, envisioned uh, with the seeker in mind, the unbeliever. Um, and to do that, of course, um, the Bible is not necessarily taught um, it's, it's focused on a lot of self-help. The, the whole idea behind the model is to create a very laid back, um, comfortable environment for anyone to come. Um, and then it's kind of like you give them a little bit of Jesus light to whet their appetite so that hopefully they become a Christian. And then they then focus on like their, their home groups, um, to, to disciple people. Um, And then they get them back into the ministry. And so there's a whole church model where Andy Stanley said that we are unapologetically church for the unchurched, um, which I find to be interesting. I find it to be interesting because, as you noted, um, that ministry philosophy that in a lot of ways was pioneered by a guy named Bill Hybel, um, Willow Creek, uh, the church, uh, mega church in Chicago, um, was pioneered by him, but it has become, largely speaking, the, uh, the predominant church ministry, uh, the, the, the driving philosophy behind church ministries. Um, now, granted, uh, some churches take it to a wild extreme. Some churches just incorporate um, parts of the philosophy. Uh, but the idea is that church uh, should be designed um, as an evangelical tool for outreach. Now, Granted, there is nothing wrong with outreach. Uh, Outreach, evangelism, again, we are called as Christians uh, to be salt and light. We are ambassadors of Christ Jesus. We are here on the earth uh, to share the good news of the gospel so that people might encounter Jesus, have their lives transformed by Jesus. Uh, That's our purpose. That's our mission. Now, I say Christians, and and that's kind of where we get into a very distinct thing. To me, even though something might be wildly popular, and it might, it might again, be attractive, uh, these churches, uh, because they are what I would call kind of a big tent model, um, are very popular and are very populated. Like, they attract large crowds of people. Uh, now, what's interesting is how successful is the ministry itself, which we can get to towards the end. Don't let me forget about it. Uh, because Willow Creek actually did a study on it had some interesting findings, didn't change what they were doing, but revealed it wasn't accomplishing what they were setting out to. My point is when we're talking about the church, I don't care about what's successful, what isn't from a worldly standpoint. Again, I think we place too much of an emphasis on numbers. That might be another conversation uh, for another day. But what, what does the Bible have to say about it? I mean, we're not playing church. Like We are part of something that has a 2,000-year-old history uh, that was instituted none other by Jesus Christ himself, Um, That has transcended time, um, ethnicities, cultures, trends, social movements, languages. Um, We are part of um, something much bigger than today's time, the moment, uh, the season in which we live. So what does the Bible have to say about church and its purpose? Because again, if we're going to do this the way that Jesus, our leader, Lord, Savior, uh, has has. Uh, intends for us to uh, setting aside maybe human ingenuity for you know Holy Spirit direction. You know what does the Bible have to say about the church, about Christians, about evangelism? You know, so our evangelistic call is rooted in well the Great Commission. You know, and it's fun to say it's true. It's it's not the great suggestion. It's not the great. You know, um, it's the Great Commission. It's, it's, it's not a suggestion. It's something that we've been commanded, commissioned, as Christians to do. That took place. That commission was given. On top of the Mount of Olives, with a with a little more than 100 of Jesus' followers, right before his ascension, um, it was immediately followed the commission to take the gospel into the nations, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, that commission was given to Christians, and it was given to Christians... Um, 10 days before the church was formally, officially, a thing. um, It was given to believers, not to an institution. It was given to people, uh, not the community of people. Again, the commission given to Christians. This is your job as Christians to make disciples of the nations, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, after telling believers to go out into the world, Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait, which kind of seems like antithetical. Well, we were just told to go, but then he says, wait. And, and we needed to wait for a reason. Again, you can read about all of this in Acts 1, 2, uh, 1 and 2. So the, the church, this group of 150, 120, some odd followers of Jesus, that included the apostles, Peter, James, John, and such, uh, they, they're waiting patiently. On the day of Pentecost, 10 days later, Fifty days after Passover, the Holy Spirit gets poured out. It's an amazing scene. People are speaking in tongues. It's developing a crowd. Uh, people who have gathered for the feast are hearing the gospel proclaimed in their native languages from these Galileans. Manifestation of the Holy Spirit, beautiful thing. Peter stands up, preaches a sermon, uh, preaches the gospel. The church is born. 3,000 souls are saved and added. And then in chapter 2, towards the end, we're given kind of a glimpse into uh, this community, the church. The church is instituted. You see a quick development of organization, of structure. Uh, we're told that they 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 were continuing in the uh, the apostles' doctrine. So they were studying uh, God's word, the stories of Jesus. Uh, they were breaking bread with one another. They were participating in the Lord's Supper. They were praying. Um very cool. Now, you see the church. Looking at the book of Acts as the blueprint for the church, uh, you never see the church itself as the institution uh, commissioned with the job of evangelism. In fact, it's, it's kind of the opposite. That The church, and what I would carry forth to be the Sunday service as well, was designed... Uh, To be an opportunity for the church to be served, to be ministered to, Uh, obviously the teaching of God's word, the equipping of the saints, um, their understanding of the gospel, um, equipping them, giving them the tools that they would need, uh, opportunities to worship God collectively, to to see the gifts of the spirit manifest, uh, to partake of the Lord's Supper. Again, which is something Jesus said, when you gather, do this in remembrance of me. But then Paul talks about uh, the importance of unbelievers not doing this. So this was something in the church community that unbelievers were forbidden from doing, which is interesting. But the church was designed, it was instituted to be a ministry to Christians, a place, a weekly place of refuge, a place that that Christians could go to be ministered to, to be equipped, to be instructed, to have um, community koinonia, um, the encouragement of the fellowship of believers so that what? So that they could fulfill the Great Commission, you know, Monday through Saturday in their daily lives. And so we see that the church itself was designed for Christians so that Christians could then go out and engage in evangelism. So so my first problem with the whole model, um, though it's wildly successful um, in attracting people and generating numbers, is that it's not the blueprint for the church. And as a result... Um, I think the the attractional church model, the seeker-friendly movement, fits within the category of of what Jesus would address, what he would say, what he would uh, identify as the church of Laodicea, uh, Revelation chapter 3, the lukewarm church, where it was a church that was a mile wide but only an inch deep, that it was a church um, very popular but had no power, that it's the apostate church. It's a church that, that, yes, has big numbers and can boast conversions, but is it truly making what, again, we were commissioned to do, disciples? Again, I mentioned a study done by Bill Hybel in Willow Creek where they hired an outside firm to conduct a three-year study of the ministry model, wanting to know um, this idea of, of using the church service as the gateway, non-threatening, laid back, a lot of fun to then transition people into a home group so that in that environment they might they might grow roots and deep and so that then they engage in ministry. Like are we at, does this model actually produce disciples? Great numbers, people, but is it impacting lives? Is it changing lives? And the study, and to their credit, they published it said that no. <laughs> it it actually doesn't accomplish um, it, it actually, what it does is it gives enough of Christianity for people to feel spiritual without the challenge to be spiritual because it doesn't teach the word. And because it doesn't teach the word, the whole counsel of God, it allows people to kind of remain in their place of apathy. I go to church. I can feel good about that. Uh, I get enough to like, I'm a Christian. This is where I go. That's all good. Um, but but then I live the way that I want. I'm not actually being being motivated, challenged uh, to move any deeper. Now, I mentioned the Church of Laodicea um, and why you were loading up the question, I pulled up a study because I do want to explain um, a bit of of how this developed because, again, I'm not totally knocking it. This is the byproduct of some major cultural movements. Now, before I get there, um, Justin, Nick... Um, obviously you attend Calvary 316, so you understand uh, our ministry model. I close almost every service uh, by articulating, hey, this was a church service. Um, Our church is designed to minister to you so that you can go out and engage in ministry. The majority of the ministry of Calvary 316, we believe, occurs through individual lives in their world Monday through Saturday. That that is the gift, uh, the manifestation, how evangelism should occur. Um, Yes, you can bring your friend to church. I will tell them about Jesus. But if you come to Calvary 316, it's very Christian-centric. We teach the Bible. We instruct the saints. Um, That's our our ministry philosophy. You guys hear me reiterate that. And you both have been a part of other churches before. And now you're very plugged into Calvary 316. and, And I would like to think. Um, that you have bought into an extent that, that vision, that mission, can you share both of you just take a minute while I pull up some notes, um, just your own experiences, what your thoughts are about this particular topic?
1: Yeah. So I thought you were pointing at him. Um, either of you go for it. I'm going, I've already started talking. One thing that I've learned through the process of going to church and stuff before coming a Christian, I loved going to the churches that made you feel good or, you know, didn't hit, didn't hit you hard or you, you didn't feel bad about yourself after you left and stuff like that. But now like becoming a Christian and going to a church like ours is verse by verse. The one thing that I love about it is that's the only way I can grow as a Christian, is reading and studying the Bible. I mean, that's what, if, if you ask me a question, what's the best way I can grow as a Christian or become more like God or more like Jesus? Well, study His Word, because that's what He commands us to do. And the best way to study His Word for me is to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and read the Bible. Instead of just hearing a message about what I, the 10 things I can do to make my kids be better or right. stuff like that.
0: Or let's go through the gospel of Dave Ramsey and or, our tips for financial freedom. <laughs> let's find
1: Jesus in the movies.
0: Or, right, yeah. right, right, for sure. Again, Just, uh, creative things designed for evangelistic purposes, but not not what we would call, like like Paul talks about, uh, when I was a child, I did childish things. When I became a man, I, I, I substitute the milk for the meat. yeah, And then in the development of our spiritual lives. Yes. When we become a Christian, um, we're not, we don't quite have the the chops to deal with, uh, meatier things. Like there is a progression of which, you know, we, we ease into things, but at some point you've got to, you got, you got to get protein. Yep. You can't live on sugar. Um, candy. Uh, Justin, what's kind of your, your history with all of that, your background?
3: Well, uh, I grew, I had the benefit of growing up in a Calvary chapel. So like it, it, the models always stayed the same throughout my life, but I've also been blessed to be parts of ministries that, and congregations and places where there had a high potential for a cost for me going to that, that congregation, that, that, attending that ministry thing, um,
0: a, a high cost, <laughs> you know, no, and, I'll interject. And, Justin's been on the show before we actually did an extensive interview, um, with his time in China, so we're talking about the church in China. Justin was a part of that for years. So
3: yeah, so that that would be one of the places I've been where you know, the church was there to equip those people, and yeah, you had you had some non-believers come in, but usually, you, I hate to say this, you kind of looked at them like, why why are you here? Are you you are an agent from the government coming to you spy could be, on us. You could be dangerous. Yeah, exactly. And and Interesting. I, you know, having that aspect of things where and and been and gone to other countries where you're the minority being a Christian and being a Christian, it's not just a cultural thing. So I think the, that was a blessing for me is just be able to see where my faith isn't just a cultural Christendom of the Western world. It's these people are becoming Christians and they're having to get kicked out of their families or have the potential to lose their jobs or, or, even worse uh, and being able to see them willingly go to be part of a, a church uh, congregation it was pretty awesome to see
0: now that's a that's a great segue and actually introduces a thought that that is interesting that you know we don't see this attractional church model or seeker friendly movement um, in the third world or really outside of our American context like I can't even say that you see that um, in in Europe You know, you have experiences with the church in China. Um, I have experiences with the church in Cuba, and and again, um, same type of thing: communist, totalitarian regime. Um, The gathering of the church is very Christian-centric. It is that opportunity to encourage one another to to be equipped. Um, You know, the stakes are high. We're like we're not playing Christianity. This is not about feel good. Like like there is a cost involved now. It's a great segue because, in explaining the development of these things, it's very applicable, I think, to uh, America. And and undoubtedly, you know, the 20th century uh, changed the world. Um, But in in the way that it changed the world, it subsequently challenged the church. It it created some interesting challenges uh, for the church in really three dramatic ways. Uh, For starters, when you go back again to the 20th century, I mean, the, the human horrors like the atrocities, uh, you know, witnessed, you know, in the foxholes of World War One, mustard gas or, you know, in the, the South Pacific in World War Two. I mean, the, the, the horrors, the atrocities that we witnessed um, in Mao's revolution or with what took place in Stalin. Uh, Stalinist Russia, the Soviet Union, uh, Nazi Germany, uh, Benito's uh, 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 Italy—you know, approximately a like hundred million casualties. You know, through war, coupled with you know the brutal and and seemingly pointless conflicts of Vietnam, which was also just a terrible thing, uh, or the Korean War. I mean, what happened is the horrors, the atrocities produced in American society, several generations of men, um, because those were the ones going to war, uh, that were completely disillusioned. They came back to America disillusioned when it came to matters of God, spirituality, and really the church. You know, so in an attempt, you might say, to kind of deal with that fallout of this rapidly changing post-Christian culture, the church again, faced with a real issue, ended up, I think tragically, convoluting her message by, by becoming really two things, politically and socially active. Um, and you see this from, from the conservative right to the, the very liberal left. And it's sad, but over the last hundred plus years, what we would call the evangelical church in the West has become known Uh, Largely more for what she's against than what she's actually for. I'll give you an example of this. You have prohibition. Men come back from World War I, and what did they discover? They discovered a church, largely led by women, more interested in telling them what they could or couldn't drink than actually seeking real remedies to their genuine spiritual needs coming off of war. You had evangelists, like the ex-baseball player Billy Sunday, who railed against the evils of alcohol without ever speaking to like deeper spiritual wounds that were driving so many men to alcohol, this destructive lifestyle. Now, to be fair, the strategy was sincere, but what happened? It ended up turning off more and more people, struggling people, turning them off to Christianity. Now, aside from those two developments, the, the other challenge that that arose in the 20th century was that secular progressives began to use science to challenge and attack uh, the reliability of the Bible. Is the Bible really God's word? Can it really be trusted? Is it really true? In 1925, a court case heard in the little town of Dayton, Tennessee would be thrust in the national spotlight. The state of Tennessee versus Tom- John Thomas Scopes, commonly referred to as the Scopes Monkey Trial pitted the Bible and science against each other regarding the origins and the theory of evolution. If you go back and you study that trial, and you create, I know you're, you're kind of into science, but, but the arguments that were presented by the prosecution and their witnesses, aimed at defending a literal understanding of the Bible, were so poorly constructed that not only would the, the theory of evolution gain credibility, and spread within wide uh, uh, public public culture, but it would become like the main scientific theory accepted in our universities as to the origins of, of man. And in the end, this and other similar developments created this framework whereby a philosophy known as relativism would seep into the mainstream American society academia. And what happened? You had no moral truth giver, And so mankind was left to ascertain if really anything was true. So, my point is, is the challenges facing the church in America and the 20th century were very simple. And I'll recap. Like, how do you reach a culture of people disillusioned with God, alienated from the church, either through political or social activism, and are no longer really confident... And a fundamentalist, literal understanding of the Bible. Like, how do you reach that culture? An increasingly post-Christian culture. And really, two approaches emerged. And we see this in the 20th century. First, you had, and Jesus writes a letter to the faithful church, which I think exists in this time period, the Church of Philadelphia. So you had a part of the church that really kind of doubled down on faithfulness. Like, they remained faithful to the original calling, mission, commission um, of the church of Christians by, by doing what? By preaching the word of God and seeking to reach the lost world through missions and evangelism. The church, again, designed to minister to Christians through the teaching of God's word with the hope of evangelism outside of the walls of the church and missionary movements. And we saw in the 20th century that model explode. Movements like, okay, Calvary Chapel in the late 60s and 70s intentionally rejected church traditionalism by modernizing its style to reach a changing culture. Men like Pastor Chuck Smith dropped kind of the uber pretentiousness of denominationalism by encouraging, at the time, hippies to simply come to church as they were. Modern music gets incorporated into worship. See, these church leaders emphasized the grace of God They stressed a dependency on the Holy Spirit and the expositional teaching of the Bible. Pastor Chuck's motto was simply teach God's word simply. And what happened? Well, the truth. For a season, this approach resonated with this culture that was deeply longing for truth. But while you had this happening here, you also had another movement gained steam in the later part of the 20th century. You know, if, if, if the Protestant Reformation, if, if the problem of, of that time period was theology over reaching people, which is why it was, was a dead church, and the missional church's success was the balance of theology and reaching people. The, the Church of Laodicea, the attractional church model, the seeker-friendly church, what's its mistake? Okay, One, theology over reaching people, dead orthodoxy. You can visit churches all over Europe that are monuments, museums to a bygone era. I would say the faithful church, balanced theology and reaching people. But what we've seen happen is that there has been an emphasis in reaching people over... Theology, And this is where I think we've really erred. Like in its historical content, context, you understand it and realize how it's easily happened, all things considered. Now, again, whether you want to call it seeker-friendly movement, the attractional church model, leaders in this particular strategy sought to intentionally create a church culture designed to be inviting, accepting, entertaining, appealing to the unbeliever, as I mentioned, pioneer of this, Andy Stanley, said this is church for the unchurch." And while these church models, again, high-tech, slick marketing, are wildly successful at attracting crowds, here's the problem. In order to create a non-threatening environment, the drawback has been that you see a church that has abandoned Bible teaching, minimized doctrinal absolutes, has blended itself with the world to appeal to the world. And and, and a lot of churches today, you will not hear the truth of sin, of hell, of there being an internal judgment. These things are avoided on purpose because they're uncomfortable. The, The attractional church model, what we see today, again, church for the churched is the blueprint of Jesus. And why we've abandoned that, I don't know. So, Craig, I mean, there was a whole lot there. Regarding it certainly the, was. Regarding the topic, the, the idea, what are your thoughts?
2: Um, I think you hit the nail on the head. I've always, I also, like Justin, like yourself, um, grew up at a Calvary Chapel. You were my youth pastor. So I've always grown up in this um, I would like to say theologically uh, rich environment. Um, and I remember going to these kind of attractional churches in my high school, college days when I was kind of, you know, either not at home or out with friends. Uh, and it was always that way. There was, the teaching was very thin, um, which I think is true. It is very good about getting people into the door. Um, and then not feeding them once they're there. Um, and so I thought you did a great job explaining that. I very much enjoyed it.
0: You know, this is what's scary about a church that preaches the Bible. And when I say, I should back that up. There's a difference between, and I'm going to parse a few phrases here, but there's a, teach, a difference between, between preaching from the Bible and teaching the Bible. And the difference is that when you preach from the Bible, the onus ends up being on the pastor to decide what he wants to preach. That enables the pastor to craft his message, to pick, cherry pick texts um, for maximum appeal, uh, to be soft in its landing, um, to not ruffle feathers or upset the sinner. It can be crafted. you can avoid if you, if you preach from the Bible passages in the Bible um, that, that don't exactly appeal uh, to our, our, our culture. you can avoid, aside from like the big ones sin, hell, judgment, etc. you can avoid topics about um, gender. you know within a lot of churches today you don't hear um, a biblical presentation of of there being two genders, why God created male and female, um, why they're distinct, um, why that's important. You don't hear that because we live in a, in a, in a society that is abandoning, abandoning um, that basic biological understanding. Uh, you you can avoid topics about marriage um, because, again, the Bible is clear that marriage is between uh, one man, one woman for life. Um, the, the The Bible has a lot to say, actually, about homosexuality, but... Um that doesn't land well um, it doesn't pull test effectively um, and as a result it's easy if you're if you're preaching from the Bible to avoid uh, those type of biblical topics um, for for easier things what it means to be truly
2: generous, what it means to give of your time and of your life I should put myself on the screen what it means to give of your time of your life these are a lot of things that get swept under the rug
0: and in pursuit of being accessible. I'll give you an, I'll give you another example, big one that the church is wrestling with gender roles. Um, yeah. The patriarchy, the, the idea that the Bible actually really does uh, again, have, the, you know, that, that male and female are, are, are distinctly equal, but they're distinct. Um, and they have, while they're equal, different roles, not just within the family, but within the church community. Um, one of the, you know, so, you know, not a pub, popular topic um, to talk about, you know, a biblical understanding of the role of women within A, the family, and B, within the church. Um, but the, the, the sad thing is that when you, when you avoid these particular topics, when you avoid working through them, uh, you end up with a church that becomes very susceptible to adopting, uh, largely speaking, uh, non-biblical ideas. Uh, you don't go to churches that talk a lot about creationism. Um, you know, and, and and as a result, you, you look at polls, you know, and it's shocking at how many, quote, Christians um, don't believe in creation. Uh, instead, accept, you know, an old earth theory um, who reject, you know, you know that, that don't see anything wrong with gay marriage or uh, think women should be pastors. Again, if you're not teaching the Bible, uh, you're leaving it up to the interpretation um, or, or the cultural whims of the day. And what happens is, again, I think that's how you end up with lukewarmness. I think that's the result of it. Again, the whole idea, though, is not, it's not evil in and of itself. Well, hey, let's do something where you can bring your friends where they're not going to get hit in the face and maybe they'll accept Jesus, and then we'll give them all the other stuff later. Now, doesn't actually happen. Later is a wonderful time of day. <laughs> later is a wonderful time of day when, when the author of Hebrews says today is the day. Um, and there's a problem with it. Christianity was never designed to be an ease into the water decision. Mm-hmm. Christianity has always been um, leave all and follow me it it has always been a decision that was weighty that was uh, radical that um, that brought with it immediate reciprocating effects in one's life to the point that like we talk about baptism like today in parts of 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 the Middle East of India Pakistan like they don't really they don't really accept your conversion at face value until you get baptized because it's public because it's public. And oftentimes what happens, especially in Muslim countries, Hindu countries, Justin, you've experienced this and I'm sure in China, but when you are publicly baptized, you are, you often show up with a suitcase because your fam, like to your family, you just died. Jeez. Like, like your wife leaves you like you, there's actual sacrifice.
2: It is idea, literally pick up your cross and follow me.
0: Which is the whole idea. And so the, I, the, this notion that, like, let's ease people in Christi- into Christianity, again, is such a, a Western American misnomer because that's not how it was designed. You know, the Apostle Paul, as Saul on his road to Damascus, got hit and his life immediately changed. Like, there was no, you know, there, there's no, like, Jesus wasn't very,
2: very attractional to the rich, young ruler.
0: He wasn't like, you know,
2: follow me on Fridays and then we'll see where we go from here. Well, I think that's where your faith has to have a
3: question of what's this going to cost me? And in those places where it costs you a lot, is this faith worth the cost of what my life's going to be like afterwards? Mm -hmm. And that's where you're going to get those people that that dig into the word. Why am, I, why am I going towards this instead of leaving my family or getting kicked out of my family or possibly being beheaded? There, there's a cost to it, and you, so you have to ask yourself, what's the cost for this? And that can't be, if there's a cost, you can't ease into that. <laughs> well, let's, right. let's,
0: let's take a, a loaded topic, because I think it's a great example. Loaded. Probably couldn't have been on radio. <laughs> Homosexuality. Like, a lot of the attractional church models have, have abandoned taking any type of definitive, absolute position on the topic of homosexuality. Now, the, they, will, they, will, they will privately affirm a biblical understanding, but it's not on their website. Um, it's not talked about from the pulpit. And the idea is, well, I, we don't, like, again, our, our job is, is not to convince someone not to be gay. Um, it's to convince somebody to, to give their life to Jesus. That the goal here is not um, is not to have more heterosexuals in hell, it's to see you know more people in heaven. Okay, I get that. The problem with it is that is that when when the entire model doesn't doesn't isn't honest with someone up front, right? About the true nature of the gospel. And when I say the true nature of the gospel, it's it's that Jesus loves you the way that you are, but He doesn't want to leave you that way. That Jesus came to transform. Something that happened at birth. Something you were born with. A wartness, a brokenness, a sin nature that manifests in all different kinds of ways. That Jesus, that you are to be born again, that you are to be something brand new. That's the gospel. When you're dumbing down the gospel, and that person is like, oh, okay, well, this obvious this isn't a thing, at some point they're gonna they're going to have come face to face. Like you have not prepared them for the reality of their situation. You cannot remain in an active, um, sinful lifestyle and claim to have been born again by the blood of Christ.
2: What's the line? Light and dark cannot be found together. I'm terrible at quoting scripture, but... Uh, you're close enough. Right. They don't um, commingle.
0: But again, you know, as opposed to being up front with, you know, the gay guy that comes to church, his life's a mess. He's trying to figure out life. And, and you know, you're teaching the Bible. And so you get to a passage of scripture that deals with his life. And you're not railing against the, you know, the gay person. You're not, you know, you're not going out of your way to attack them. You're just speaking the truth. Like, what is the remedy? It's the truth. The truth changes everything. Well, I mean,
3: it does say the word is a two-edged sword. It didn't say it's a pool noodle that you're just going <laughs> to lightly hit them with. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's a- and, so, and so that person, um, again, it's saying, oh, well, my identity is in this. And yeah, what does the gospel say? I want to replace your identity. With a new one. Die to yourself. So now you have a big decision to make. Do I want to hold on to this or let go of it, forsake all, and follow Jesus? And that's how you create genuine, authentic Christians and not this blasé affair that we see within our society, Christianity that's a mile wide and inch deep. And what we see over and over and over again is all the stats show that we're becoming less and less Christian, um, that less and less people are even going to church anymore. Again, I think one of the, one of the things about this pandemic is that it shut down church for, you know, six months to a year. And I think a lot of people that that gravitated towards the, oh, well, I can go to church to feel good about myself, are like, you know, I don't actually have to do that. <laughs> like, that that's actually some traditional nonsense. Um, I don't, I I stopped going to church and my life was okay.
2: Yeah, one of the things that we talked about um, when we were still doing the radio and the, and the pandemic was just starting was that the, the shutdown might prune a lot of bad fruit or um, fake branches. I don't know dead where the branches, goes. Dead branches from the church. And I think that we've seen some of that.
0: I, th- I think the latest study is 30% of Christianity hasn't returned. Like 30%. I would argue that all of Christianity has returned. Right. And- <laughs> no, very valid point. Absolutely. Um, but it, but it's interesting. It's interesting to see, um, to see that dynamic um I, you know i i've often said and again I'll, I'll go back to an an idea of what um like calvary 316 um like it is not our desire to grow a big church like that's not that's not our mission our mission is to faithfully serve whoever comes like it's to be a faithful church An have healthy church. sheep not a large flock exactly well, I, I can tell you that, like it's having the
3: ability to go to a church because whenever I travel, I try and find a local church just to go visit, see how they're, how healthy are they are and things like just, you know, experience that cultural
0: that yeah, aspect for sure. of it. Yeah.
3: And, and having that ability to not forsake the gathering together of the believers is an important thing for, to, to recharge from being out in the world because we're not part of the world. So being out there is very draining And I I think if it's not draining in your life, then you're either in. And and therefore,
0: you want to go to church for a reason. Right. There's a reason. Like I here's I hate the phrase the church gathering. You know, that became like a a pop cultural thing, you know, through the, the 90s and early 2000s where people were changing as opposed to our service times, our gathering times. It's like, no, this is more than a gathering. Like this is an actual service to the church. Um, that takes place. There's something spiritual, radical, revolutionary that should be taking place Um, that we're just gathering. I I hate that phrase. It's just, it's dumb to me. And and it's so, and it lacks, it dumbs down the the point of what's happening. We're not just gathering. Um, There's something awesome happening. Um, There's a service taking place. Um, You know, I've said about Calvary 316 and it's, again, this is the danger of of our particular ministry model is that when someone comes to our church that is not a believer or let's say kind of comes out of an attractional church model, one of two things always happens. Always. We've been doing this for eight years. They either, I mean, are set on fire by the, the power of the Holy Spirit that they, they feel like they, they found an oasis in the desert and they just, they just drink up what's happening. Like, oh my goodness, finally a church that teaches me, that equips me, that ministers to me, this is wonderful. Or they leave because they find it uncomfortable um, and awkward and not what they're looking for in a church, again, going back a few years, we had one of these big um, seeker friendly churches move right down the street from us, and I was asked, um, "Hey Zach, are you worried? Are you worried about this? Because, you know, I knew I I had a friend that had a church that this happened to them, and within uh, about a year, the church died. You know, it got gobbled mm. up." Because they they didn't have the facilities to compete. They didn't have the indoor playground. Uh, They didn't have the built-in McDonald's. You know, it it wasn't, you know, they just didn't, they didn't have all of the paid musicians where, you know, I always laugh, like, if you want a good concert, go to a Dave Matthews band show because it will always be better than anything you could find in the church. Not true anymore. You go to some, I mean, you're talking about million-dollar operations, big light, big sound, big experience, and, and a lot of smaller churches can't compete with that per se. The problem is is they then try to, and that's, that's a mistake that's made. Overextend and, themselves and make it look bad. Or you just you, you lose sight of what's important. And anyway, I was asked, well, Zach, are you worried about them moving right down the street? And I said, absolutely not. I said, because, because the person that comes to Calvary 316 and plugs in and stays connected will never go to that church. And the person that goes to that church and enjoys it and really likes it, and, like it hits this spot, will never come to Calvary 316 because of what we do. On the flip side, the person that goes to that church but over time becomes disillusioned, again, they'll walk into the doors of our church and fill it home immediately. So, And we've seen that. In fact, that church no longer exists because the pandemic killed it. We're still
2: here, though. But we're yeah. still but we're still here doing doing our <laughs> Not thing. Not that being, we're you know
0: and being faithful sure. with it. You know, I, again, um, I, I I teach the Bible. It's one of the reasons we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through books of the Bible. Um, I can't avoid complicated topics. I can't avoid uh, things that might that might ruffle feathers. But as, as Justin said, the the word of God is a two-edged sword and it's not my job to pick and choose what is said. My job is to faithfully exposit the text and let God say what he wants to. Um, I totally agree. And it just occurred to me on the back
2: end of this, I want to mention that we do that with the youth as well, because like, and we do that with the
0: kids. We do that all the way through
2: yeah, because like kids in middle school and high school these days are getting hit with quest- with questions that people my age didn't get hit with until college and people my mom's age just never had to deal with
0: and if you never deal with it then they don't they don't know they don't know that there's they don't know the answer but they, but worse they don't know that there are answers they don't know there is an answer and that's one of the things that, that with when when I was running a youth ministry and our youth ministry at Calvary 316 is the carryover of that I, I told, I told people all the time, like, like the, the, the likelihood of these, of these, you know, ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade morons retaining, um, a lot of, a lot of the things that we're get, that we're giving them the theology that we're, we're equipping them with, um, their retention is what their retention is. It's not very good, but the goal is, is that when they go to college and they get hit with a question that they don't, they're not immediately floundering or flapping in the wind that it's like, well, wait a second. You're saying that I don't exactly know how to answer that, but I know that there's an answer because in this reservoir in the back of my brain, I remember at some point talking about this with my youth pastor or one of my youth counselors, and I need to give them a call and follow up on it.
2: Right. The question you just asked me is not as ground shattering as it immediately seems. There are answers to these things, and which and- is important for adults to know too, because it can happen as easily to a 40 year old who's new to the faith as an 18 year old who's new to the faith.
0: You, you look at the polls about how many Christians believe in evolution or how many Christians believe um, that the Bible isn't infallible or the inspired word of God or or, or that doubt the resurrection actually happened um, <laughs> or to explain to you what rebirth really is or the importance of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Um, within American culture, The biblical knowledge and understanding of Christians regarding these questions is, I would say, the worst it's been. I would say that when we couldn't read and church was in mass, in Latin, we probably had a better biblical understanding than what the churches are doing today. That's a scathing indictment. But probably true. Nick, you got anything? You kind of been chilling? No, I'm good. Any questions? Anything
1: to add? I have one thing to add. Yeah. So the, when he first brought up the topic, thing popped in my head. There's a church that I drive by because I work all over the place. And the, what, the sign outside it says, non-perfect only, non-perfect people only. And the first thing I thought about was then I can't go there because Jesus made me perfect.
0: Oh, <laughs> rad. <laughs> rad.
1: And I was like... Like, I'm righteous. What are you talking about? Yeah, I'm, I'm made new. I'm righteous. So. Have you
0: seen th- that particular branding that phrase, um, is all over the place. Yeah, and what is it? It's that there are there are church consulting marketing firms that sell that package to churches that are trying to figure out uh, how to better reach their community. Yeah, and it has been focus tested, and um, and and it's it people they have concluded that oh well this will this branding of the ministry will make it more comfortable you know, for, for people to come in. Um I, I would like to say, um, if if you're happy with your life, don't come. If you're looking for a radical change, our service is at ten thirty. <laughs> you know, like
1: Yeah.
3: And Zach mixes in D.C. talk quotes into I, his, his
0: sermons, so that, that's a plus. That's a plus. Yeah, I, For those that don't know, I— You I, mean for any listener who's under 30? Yeah. I do, well, I just taught— <laughs> hey, he got
3: a whole lot of people that knew exactly what he was about. I actually
0: did. No, so I had this—I was teaching I was teaching uh, the ministry of John the Baptist, um, uh, Matthew chapter 3, a couple Sundays ago, and, and in describing John the Baptist, I, I worked in— uh, Toby Max rap and kind of spoken word. And I really had no, I did it for me because I thought it was funny <laughs> and, and knew that Justin would get it. Cause him and I are cut from the same cloth. I immediately uh, got it. Uh, immediately. I knew it was going. First concert. You went, was you, went you went further
3: week. than I thought you were in. Indiana. I did.
0: No, I carried it. I committed to it, went all the way. And what was to my surprise, I had way more laughter um, uh, than, than, <laughs> than I would have expected. But yeah, you know, a church, you know, you you know, with a good DC talk reference. Yeah, <laughs> so. you
2: know, we're the attractional church. We like to have hip references to hip. the music that the kids hip, listen to. The kids,
0: to. then youngsters, <laughs> the young people. That I always hated that phrase. What are the young people doing? Ugh. Whatever what, you're not. Generally. What are the old people doing? Yeah. Um, anyway, you know, if you can't, if old people is condescending, young people is condescending. Uh, they're just people. How about that? Uh, the young adults or, or just their adults, the old adults. I don't know. Right. That no. has nothing to do with the topic. No. Nope. <laughs> Craig, did we unpack it?
2: Yes. I thought it was great. Um, I have uh, a comment from Colette from early on, but she posted like right as you started, like right into it. So okay, I just okay. held on to it. Um, she said that the topic is right on exactly what I've been praying for. More love and care in my heart for believers and serving their knees as they serve God which I think is exactly the, uh, the kind of heart, heart set. Is that a word? Is that a mindset, heart set? Works for me. Works. That's the heart set, set that a volunteer heart. at Calvary
0: 316 should have. I will close with this, with this, and this is what I always close with with Calvary 316. Again, the ministry model, our job is to equip Christians to go fulfill evangelism, to go reach the world with the gospel. That model only works when everyone takes it upon themselves the responsibility to actually go into their world with the unapologetic gospel of Jesus Christ. you know you know people say you know the church is for the sick it's a hospital for the sick. I don't see that in the Bible like I don't think it's a hospital for the sick. I think it's it's a it's an academy for doctors and nurses you know it's a place where they get equipped to then go into the world to to, to minister to the sick you know i you know anyway so you got anything else we good we're good good well you've been listening to the outlaw radio show hope you enjoyed tonight's episode uh the show is live streamed every wednesday night at 8 p.m. the audio though is released on our podcast thursday morning the following morning if you're watching and you've yet to subscribe uh, our podcast is hosted on apple google spotify for quick links simply visit outlawradio.org again outlawradio.org if you're listening on the podcast if you're a podcast listener we would like to invite you to join us for uh, the live show again Wednesdays at 8pm you can watch via our YouTube channel outlawradio.live or by visiting facebook.com slash the radio outlaw Nick and Justin thank you so much for being on the show joining me tonight
1: love being here yeah you need i
3: need more DC talk radio uh references though
0: (laughs) justin i mean you you stumbled across the finish line creighton i know i did thank you for being on the show as always uh uh, yeah thanks yeah once again my name is zach adams i hope you join us this time next week for another episode of the i love good night folks